Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. The first book to talk about verbal abuse was Patricia Evans' book, The Verbally Abusive Relationship. I interviewed Patricia Evans, and I talked with her a couple of years ago, and I wanted to introduce this interview once again for you. It is so pertinent. She was the person who brought the term verbal abuse into the light and brought it into public usage. Such a debt we owe her because it shed light on something that had been happening for far too long and continues to. So stay tuned and enjoy this interview, even though there is nothing enjoyable about verbal abuse. Welcome to Save Your Sanity, help for handling hijackles, those difficult, toxic, and often disturbing people in your life. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor, and I'm here for you. You'll get the insights, skills, strategies, and support to stop tolerating verbal and emotional abuse, whether it's happening now or it happened to you in the past, maybe by a parent, partner, ex, relative, or even a co-worker. Time to take life back, to recover and to rediscover you, your values, dreams, desires, and realize them in healthy ways in healthy relationships. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor, and you're listening to For Relationship Health. And today I'm so excited to welcome someone who has been instrumental in bringing to light what is called verbal abuse. In fact, until my guest Patricia Evans started using that term, did her research and wrote her first books, this was little known if at all talked about. So we have a great debt of gratitude to you, Patricia, for doing this. So before we get into our conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Patricia Evans. She is an internationally recognized interpersonal communication specialist. And she's drawn upon research of more than 30,000 cases of verbally abusive relationships. So she speaks and conducts workshops throughout the country. She's the founder of Evans Interpersonal Communications Institute, and she offers workshops and trainings. In fact, as I said earlier, she's the person who brought the subject of verbal abuse to the forefront of American consciousness. She's written several books, including The Verbal, Verbally Abusive Relationship and uh, Verbal Abuse Survivors Speak Out and Controlling People and many others. And you can learn more about her at verbalabuse.com. So welcome to For Relationship Help, Patricia. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yes, it's delightful to have you here. I know that you have been on uh, many impressive television and radio shows during your career, and it continues. So we're delighted you could have some time with us. Um, I want to start with your very, very good definition of what is verbal abuse. Okay, verbal abuse is a statement that defines you in a negative way, telling you what you are, think, feel, need, want, should do. Uh, All irrational comments, all verbal abuse is irrational. Um, 
it's it's almost crazy uh nobody on this planet knows what you are think feel unless you tell them what you want or what you're doing so when somebody tells you oh you want to argue <laughs> they're, they're pretending to be you or god oh god knows what you want but and you know what you want but this other person is just saying something totally irrational Yes, yeah, so it's a great definition because that's exactly what they want to do. I think you and I previously discussed the fact that that I coined the term hijackles. Uh, and the term hijackles are, they are people who hijack relationships for their own purposes while relentlessly scavenging them for power, status, and control. So that's why our work matches so well, because it is based in verbal abuse. That's the way these people begin to control you. And verbal abuse is a control technique, isn't it? Well, yeah, what it really, at a deeper level, it is the attempt of the abuser to keep his projection alive and well within you. It's merged into your psyche. Uh, he may show no signs of being abusive. He may be absolutely perfect before he feels secure, like in a marriage or an engagement. And when he feels secure, he projects his lost self into you. And suddenly, anything you do or say that does not match his projection feels like an attack. And therefore, he will say very abusive and controlling things. And uh, these are really confabulations for him to explain to himself why he has that horrible feeling of being attacked. So it's kind of complex. My third book, Controlling People, explains that paradigm, just in case you're a listener and like to know more. Uh, also, I, like I just did a workshop last month in North Carolina. I don't do so many workshops. Most of my days are filled with consultations. Uh, so I do consult to people by phone all over the world and do get calls from other countries. And uh, people need clarity because it's so confusing. They usually think the other person's rational and the abuser may believe he's totally rational, but that's not true. Right. And, you know, I'm like you. I have clients in many countries and it's a universal phenomenon <laughs> that somebody who's feeling very, very insecure. In fact, one of the ways I describe it, and you can comment on this, Patricia, is I describe it as, as they're so emotionally fragile that they're running in front of them at all times two fences, defense and offense. And they cannot for a moment let their guard down to think that, that they could possibly let anything that could damage their sense, their fragile sense of who they are, uh, be shattered. Yeah, another way to, that's, that's a way to put that. Another way to put it is they are identified with their persona. In other words, they've developed a persona so they look good to the world People think they're wonderful, you know, they are great friends and all this. And yet, um, this is the image they have developed over their lives to uh, be like Mr. Nice Guy or Miss Perfect Mother Woman or whatever. And when they've developed that persona, they begin to identify with it. So 
they can't be wrong, they can't make a mistake, they can't apologize, and so forth, because that would just sort of uh, obliterate that persona, and they would feel adrift and connected to nothing and have no identity and just be more or less erased. They have such resistance to uh, seeing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's the fear that I was alluding to. I mean, that fear of being obliterated in their own minds, right? Yeah, yeah. A way for us to see their greatest fear is being found out. Mm -hmm. That they aren't who they say they are. That they, behind closed doors, can be completely different. Yes, and and trying to keep that up is so tension producing. Yes, isn't it? Yeah, and and certainly in my work, and I'm sure you're alluding to the same thing, Patricia, is that so often what sh- what that person, in my terms, the hijackal, is showing in the outside world, is not what the person living with them is experiencing. Yeah, we just don't know what goes on behind closed doors. So if somebody says their spouse is abusive or extremely difficult um, and one doesn't see that, you still have to really try to believe the spouse. Maybe ask for some examples of what they've heard because this person may seem to be really, really great in front of other people. Mm-hmm. And. You know, I help people move who have been raised by hijackals. Uh, I help them understand what is what has impacted them, and help them not move on to having relationships with hijackals, or to get out of a relationship they have ha- or are in, and have a, a more healthy relationship. And so it it often happens that we've been verbally abused at home as children. And when that occurs, it becomes normalized. And then when we're a mate is selecting us, which is usually the way that happens if, if verbal abuse has been normalized for you, um, you just carry on thinking that this is somewhat normal and all the problems are your fault because that's what you were told anyway while you were growing up. So it's not a surprise to have a partner who's telling you everything is your fault. That's right. Uh, people who have had abusive childhoods, difficult childhoods, will stay longer in a bad relationship than those who had wonderful families. But anybody can be fooled by an abuser because until they switch on you, in other words, switch from being just nice and cordial and so forth uh, to being abusive, uh, you have no idea, no idea that this could happen. And so uh, people who have been Uh, snared, you might say, by a person who switches into being verbally abusive. Usually right after marriage is the most common time. They could be very uh, highly educated. They could be heads of huge companies. They could be have any position. They could be brilliant. They could be emotionally intelligent. They have no way to predict if this person is going to switch. And if that person does, which is most common right after marriage, then that's the time to get out of the relationship, as hard as that is. I know, because you're so so accultured to make it work, aren't we? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. less so these days, because 
you know, I've written a lot of books too, Patricia, and one of them, Kaizen for Couples, I talk about the prevalence these days of what I call the hokey pokey marriage or the hokey pokey relationship. Um, when somebody's getting married and they have questions about it, someone will say to them, well, if it doesn't work, you can get a divorce. Therefore, you're, you're setting up a hokey pokey marriage because you've got one foot in, one foot out, and that's what it's all about. <laughs> that's a cute analogy. But, but then the other piece comes in that, okay, you may have been told that it's up to you to make it work. And if you're all those wonderful things that you just said, emotionally intelligent and loving, kind, compassionate, and no doubt in love and in the hormone phase, uh, you want to make it work. And so you keep not seeing the red flags or justifying them or rationalizing them or at minimum making an excuse for them. So what do you think the dynamic is, Patricia, that causes people, even people who have not been abused in childhood, to not recognize early and not get out of those relationships? Well, very often a number of things culturally and in their information, if they, until the first book came out, they had no, there was no name for what they're experiencing. So if they talk to a friend or someone about the relationship, they say, well, you know, maybe you do something that makes him mad or triggers her or does this or that. And, uh, and they had no way to, they, there was no name for this kind of relationship, no name for it at all. Or this person's got a hot temper, so don't provoke him, things like that. And so they had no way to tell until they read the dynamics about it which come out in the first book, The Verbally Abusive Relationships, they don't even realize that they, very often they don't realize they've been abused. I have heard from thousands of people who say, I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know what. But once they see it, then they can see if their mate wants to change um, and is willing to do all the work. And I can show them both in their consult. I can show the partner how to wake up the abuser. Being woke up, knowing he's abusive or she's abusive, does not change that person. Then that person has to get into a program of doing an intensive therapy and many things and much reading and so on in order to be able to uh, gain back him, the, their inner self, to be connected within to have empathy, to have, you know, compassion, to have all the things that they were missing before. Yeah, that that's interesting because, you know, my doctorate's in psychology, so I've been working in this realm for a long time. What's the percentage of people that you can wake up to the fact that they're being abusive and actually get them to change? What would you say that percentage is? I'd say there's a, a good percentage that, you can wake up um, to the fact that they've been saying, quote, the wrong thing. Um, but whether they, if they go into a year of intensive therapy, if they read the survivor's book three times, if they read, uh, you know, the controlling book, uh, controlling people book three times, if they do uh, a lot of, a whole lot of work and they stay separated from their partner, they can change in about a year. Um, if they don't do all this work, uh, they aren't going to change. So 
anyone who does all the work is very likely to become an integrated whole person and not pretend to be their partner, telling her what she is and what she thinks and what she wants, like you want to argue or you're trying to start a fight. I know your motives. I live within you. That's really the message they're conveying to the partner. It's quite irrational. It's so irrational. Yeah, so it's, that's the problem. Uh, so we, I don't, we don't really know the percentages that, that heal, but I could say that if a person did all the intensive work for uh, about a, around a year or a little more, they've probably changed a great deal within and they may be able to be an integrated whole person. Yeah, if you're really interested, maybe in another conversation we can talk about even more depth in that. Uh, because I find that m many, many people, and like I say, I call them hijackals, because, and the reason for that, Patricia, is that I don't want to use clinical terms. People like to bandy about that their their partner is a narcissist or a borderline or a sociopath or a narcopath or whatever. But, these people are not qualified to assess that. They are only knowing what they're experiencing. They go online, they read some descriptions, they decide on a label, and now we've kind of written the person off, which I don't think. Well, you know, I haven't used a label in any of the five books. No. And uh, uh, labels, oh, they give us, if someone says someone's paranoid, uh, we might know they have a fear, but they don't really tell us anything. All my work is a systems approach to mm -hmm. the problem what is going on in the mind of a human being who tells another human being what they're thinking, like you think you're so good or something. That's like insane. <laughs> so I use that word once in a while. Sometimes things sound totally insane because no sane person could tell another human being what they're thinking at any given moment. And so it's uh, it, the ridiculousness of it is what I think the world needs to see. Nobody can define anybody like this. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's almost funny. Um, it's very tragic and very painful uh, because the person who's being defined knows that the other person can't see them or hear them. In other words, the other person who's doing the defining is closed off from the real person. The person who's trying to explain something, not start a fight. Mm -hmm. When they're told, you're trying to start a fight, that the relationship at the moment, from a systems perspective, is ended. It's ended in that moment. Might be reconstituted if the other person says, how are you? How are you feeling? Or whatever. But for being seen and heard, one is closed off from the abuser, so then it's just uh, no relationship whatsoever. And so that's part of the pain of verbal abuse, having no relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's a really high price to pay because people are longing to be in relationship. They need, yeah, people are social and need contacts and, and you know, we're human beings. We need each other. People do need relationships. Mm -hmm. That's important. And, and it's... You know, as I describe it, in one of my books, the subtitle is Loving Someone Who Shoves You Away Yet Demands That You Stay. <laughs> that pretty much describes it, yeah. Right, and so they, they want you, but they have to control you, and in the controlling you, 
they push you away. And when you decide to leave, they're petrified and they try to pull you back. Well, this is it. You know, somebody might beat up their partner and the partner runs away. And then the person who beat the person, the, the beater, <laughs> the abuser, uh, will go stalk the very person that they've beaten up. You'd think that they hated this person and they're glad they're gone. But no, they go stalk them because they need a, a, a harbor for their projection. And as I say, controlling people explains that part. And the verbally abusive relationship shows what the dynamics are. But the survivor's book has a huge impact on many of the abusers that I work with. Mm -hmm. uh, it just has a huge impact that just just they just say that they say nothing you know impacted me more than that book so it's uh it's just very interesting to see how this all works and the level of unawareness in our world and the normalization of abusive comments is just it's just beyond belief it's hard to imagine but it's real yeah, I know. You know, there was a, a line in controlling people that I thought I'd bring into this conversation. And you wrote, generally speaking, controllers see themselves as strong, independent, and in need of no one. Indeed, they're usually seen by others in this light, but they battle feelings of powerlessness. They're extremely dependent upon the other because of their overriding fear of being disconnected. This fear is so great that their attempts to control the other are first and foremost designed to avoid being disconnected. Yeah, they can. Where would they? Where would half of them go? If half of their psyche, more or less, is projected into their partner, and then suddenly she's gone, it's like part of them is missing, literally. <laughs> and they really need that. That and then they're not thinking I'm going to control her. Most of them have no idea they're being controlling. They're just reacting to the fact that she doesn't match what their projection is doing or saying at the moment. So that's so then they get very upset. That's mm -hmm. what. They, yeah. And then they get louder and louder, and then they begin to do things that they ought not to do. Exactly. Yeah. They're very damaged. Uh, they grow up uh, basically missing a large part of their psyche. Uh, it's all in their unconscious. And uh, there's uh, a reason for that. It's the way that they're raised and the way they're encultured to block out. Even physical pain they can block out. You know, we've only got four functions. And so if they block their feeling function and their intuitive function, they used to say, I don't know if they still do, but intuition is a girl thing, you know. Uh, if they block their intuitive function and they block their feeling function, then they might even block some of their sensate function. And so they're really crippled psychologically. Then uh, they need a partner to project the whole lost part of them into and once they do then she does has to move walk talk think everything the way the projection is doing at the moment so it's quite bizarre and that answers the question too for those of you who are listening and saying well i got out of a verbally abusive relationship or a, even a physically abusive relationship with a person that we're describing today 
and the person won't leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had client clients who have been divorced from their hijackal for 10, 12 years. They had children together. The hijackal moved on, married somebody else, um, and yet my client was still getting 10 to 15 emails a day trying to control her while he was married to somebody else. Why not transferred his projection into somebody else? No, he, he could he could have, of course, he married somebody very, very young and all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess he felt that he could keep up the charm and pretense and give her everything in the new marriage, but he had not transferred the projections over from the old marriage. Yeah, so he was still anxious. Um, yeah, it's uh, usually... It's very difficult if you have children to um, to really get separated if the children are under 18, to really be separated and have no contact. But for many relationships where there aren't children or they've gone off and they're adults now, one can block their email, you can block your phone number, and there's many ways that you can have privacy. Uh, there was even, and there is a website with many links down at the bottom of the page of it, um, and it was end uh, end stalking in America, so dot uh, net I think. Somebody can look that. You can all look that up. End stalking in America, and people have had to change their, um, actually to change their names, to move to uh, several thousand miles away to have secret, uh, I think they can actually even maybe get a different social security number. I'm not sure, but they can do many things to, um, to uh, change their identity, to keep the other person from knowing where they are. And sometimes people have had to do that. It's, uh, it's just a big problem that's not really discussed in our world today. You know, people don't even know what other people go through when they're being stalked. Mm-hmm. So if, if there's a person listening today who is just realizing that what they're experiencing is verbal abuse and they can get out of the mindset of, I'm, I'm at fault because I can't keep my partner happy, and they're just beginning to realize this, what would be the first thing that you would tell that person to do or say to the abuser. Oh, okay. Well, um, most people explain that wasn't what I was thinking. That wasn't what I was doing. That isn't what I want. I want this and that and so forth. I want to make it work. I'm not trying to start a fight. I was trying to explain. So they give endless hours of explanations in defense and in explanation of what they really are, think, feel, need, want, should do, and so forth. And these explanations go basically unheard by the a person who's being abusive. So uh, the best way to respond, that's the beginning. Respond, go to verbalabuse.com and the Jekyll site, read everything you can, or set up an hour consult and know everything to do. But basically, respond to the verb if you hear you want you say oh honey you're not me you don't know what i want and you're not god you can ask me nicely with your happy voice if you hear oh you don't care uh you can respond 
you don't know how I feel. You're not me, and you're not God. You can ask me nicely how I feel, um, or you can leave that out. Just, hey, you're not me. You don't know what I want. You don't know what I'm doing. You can ask. Um, and respond to the verb of whatever you're being told. What you are, you don't know what I am. You're not me. You know, you don't know what I think. You're not me. You don't know. And so on. So that uh, you have a response. You don't feel totally helpless. Mm -hmm. You are possibly giving a little bit of light to the other person. They may later on wonder, I wonder why I said I knew what she wanted. You know, <laughs> because I don't know what she wants. I don't know what she thinks. I don't know what she feels. I don't know what she needs. So often they'll say, you need this, you know. You need help. You need hormones. <laughs> you don't know what I need. You're not me. That's silly talk. So that's a way to respond and to learn everything you can about it, to go on verbalabuse.com and the Jekyll site and to um, become aware because there are relationships where neither person has ever defined the other person in a negative way. Someone might say, oh, you look great today. Oh, wow, you're so beautiful. But that's not a negative. But if someone, uh, but there are couples, uh, one couple, 13-year marriage, neither person had ever said one of the 400 samples in my fourth book. The negative comments, you know, you are, you think this, you want, blah, 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 blah. You know, you're trying to do this. Um, so, they have never said a negative statement. They said they'd feel crazy. I mean, who's going to tell somebody what they want? Who's going to tell somebody what they're thinking? You know, they can't. They, just being conscious prevents us from doing that. One would hope. <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> However, there's we're... a lot of unconsciousness in this world. Shockingly yeah. so. Shockingly so. Yeah, that's absolutely true, you know, and we see examples in high places, particularly recently. Uh, particularly recently. Mm -hmm. Just purely insane comments and statements, and um, they're not rational. Let's just say maybe they're not legally insane, but they're certainly not rational. Yeah, it's really weird that this happens in our world. Well, and, and we have, there, there is this uh, brain phenomenon that happens that, you know, if we haven't seen something before, we don't have a pattern for it, so we dismiss it. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have a pattern for the uh, verbal abuse that went on, the other kinds of abuse that were talked about, we don't have a pattern for them, we find it what I call, it's one of the hallmarks of a hijackal, which I call incredulity. Yeah, um, it's incredulous. Oh, that didn't really happen. Yeah, because, that. <laughs> yeah, well, the incredulity part, as I describe it, Patricia, is like somebody does or says something, and you as a rational human being go, oh, no, you didn't. You didn't really say that. <laughs> you know, who says that? Nobody says that. Nobody says that. <laughs> so you kind of write it off and you put a subtext under it of being compassionate or understanding and you, th you dismiss it. Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of denial and amnesia is what got us to today. Yeah, <laughs> so, I guess that is very true. Yes. Yeah, very so, true. 
it's so incredulous it's so shocking it must be some kind of game or something it must not be real it's not you know it's just too we're incredulous about things and other people are some people are very adapted to certain things and normalize it and so uh so this whole issue of unawareness is prevalent in our world it's just lack of awareness lack of consciousness and people who are not whole within find it easy to project into other people to tell them what they are and think and feel and need and want and so forth and their motives and so on so um, it's quite an awakening to the world i think to uh, see this as you say in a high places Mm -hmm. So I have two questions I'd like to ask before our time is up. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is that when, when a person has been in uh, a relationship of this nature for quite a while, um, and they, they, hurt, they hear that they can say something like, uh, well, you're not me, you don't know what I want. Mm -hmm. If the other person is not responsive to that if they just get more angry and they won't engage do you find that there is any hope for that relationship very little the only thing that i have recommended to people or to the partner the person who's uh subject to this is um, a, a way of doing an intervention and where there's a number of people in the room and one says they're asking the other person not to say these things so i show them how to do that uh so they so the world now knows all the things that the partner is saying i really don't want you to tell me what i am and so forth and so this uh this can be quite a wake-up call because the abusive person usually can't hear the partner or dismisses the partner and really can't hear the resistance to hearing the partner is like a resistance to suicide. If I hear my partner is what this person would think, if they hear the partner, they have to acknowledge that she really exists and is not an extension of them or to, to do and say and be what he wants. Mm -hmm. So it's complex, but if, if all the books are now that are out now, if one reads everything, they can become very aware or spend an hour uh, with me in consultation or with you and, uh, and get a handle on the whole thing and know what to do, know how to wake up an abuser, which, by the way, does not change the abuser. Waking him up and having him say, oh, I didn't know I said all that, I'm sorry. Waking him up does not change them. Intensive therapy does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so important, Patricia. I think people are really, really wise to have a consultation and, and even just to be heard. You know, sometimes I'm sure oh, you have people come to you and they, they say, like you said earlier, something's wrong. I just can't put my finger on it. Mm -hmm. And then you or I can help them to talk it through and find out where is that that you can't quite put your finger on exactly yeah just having someone some for some people just having someone that understands what they're talking about and what they went through 
is mm -hmm. so important and being validated. I've heard instances, I'll leave it at this, instances where somebody overheard in a restaurant or somewhere and said, hey, uh, you don't have to go home with them or you need a ride. They overheard the abuse. And that would be the first outside validation the partner ever had. Yeah. And it really is a wake up for the partner just to have someone recognize that this is happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So important. And, and just in case anybody listening is thinking that, you know, that maybe you've got gender on the mind as to who the abuser is, let, let me just point out that there are female and male abusers. <laughs> Absolutely. I've saved some men. Men will call me and uh, they'll say I saved their life, you know. They'll be with somebody, a woman who is abusive. So it can happen both ways. Yeah. It's much more uh, common that the majority <laughs> of people who call me first are women, you know. Yeah, my I have about a 60-40 practice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people come to see me. And, and on in support, I know that you have wonderful things for them. So ha go to verbalabuse.com and find out all that Patricia Evans has for you. She's been doing this for a long time. She's a pioneer and a forerunner in the field. And you really do well to, to go to see her things. Also, if you need immediate support, I have a Facebook group. And for good reason, which I'll explain, it is called Optimize Life. It's a closed Facebook group. And from the closed group, you can ask to be part of the secret group so that no one will ever know you're, you're there and you're getting answers to your questions. But the, the Facebook group, just go to facebook.com slash group slash hijackals or look for the group called Optimize Life. And why it is called an Optimize Life and not how to live with an abuser or how to leave an abuser is because abusers hack they will go and they will look at your computer. They will look at your computer history. They'll look at your phone. They'll look at all kinds of things and they want to know what you're up to. So the group is called Optimize Life so they wouldn't care. <laughs> I know. Um, yes, I do talk also to women about there's a way to get a complete privacy. So no one even knows what service you've got on your laptop much less how to open it. <laughs> That's great. Is that something available to people generally or do is that I, I usually just uh, in part of their consultation uh, make sure that they have privacy for uh, because I do have an online group and it's I keep it closed. Okay. No one can get on unless I'm on the phone with a prospect and I open the board and I get them on and I have their contact information and then it's closed. Okay. So it's closed. It would take a, uh, probably a Russian hacker to get in. Okay, <laughs> you couldn't do it, you know, uh, just by hitting somebody's uh, uh, history or something. So exactly. we do talk privacy. Yeah, we do talk privacy, and I think privacy is very important for anyone, anywhere, anytime, any place. It is, and and I hope everybody believes that because sometimes we forget that we don't have to tell everything to everybody at all times. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I've been talking today with Patricia Evans, and she is, as I said, a forerunner and pioneer in the work of understanding that there is such a thing as verbal abuse and how to stop it, how to put an end to it. And of course, 
there is also what comes from that, which is the emotional abuse. So, Patricia, I want to thank you so much for being with me today. Well, thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity. It's uh, just been a good chance to get some more information out to the world, and I'm really grateful for that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor. If you want to know more, go to Patricia's uh, website at verbalabuse.com or come on over to forrelationshiphelp.com. And if you think that you're with one of these people, also go to hijackles.com and you can download my free ebook, How to Spot a Hijackle. <laughs> so if you're just wondering if you're being uh, verbally abused, go there and find out for sure. So thanks so much for being with us here on For Relationship Help. Go out, be kind to each other, and most of all, take good care of yourself. I'm so glad you spent this time with me today. I hope you heard something that touched your heart and empowered you to move forward. You can have the life and relationships that you most want, and that begins with you within you today. I'm always here for you. Life can get better, and you heard that from me, the Relationship Help Doctor. I'm Roberta Shaler, and I work with clients throughout the world through video conferencing. We can talk. So learn more at 4RelationshipHelp.com, F-O-R-RelationshipHelp.com, or visit me on YouTube at 4RelationshipHelp. Join me for next week's show.